Turn to Exodus chapter 15. We are going to read one verse, find Exodus 15, and then find the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah because we're going to look at both of those. Last Sunday morning, I talked about the faithfulness of God. And I will say again, He's always been faithful to me. I think every one of us could say that. God has always been faithful. He has never let me down. I've let Him down a lot of times, but God has never let me down. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And I want to zero in on that phrase, glorious in holiness. As I said, we're going to talk about the holiness of God. I personally believe, and I think most of you would agree with me, that God's most important characteristic is His holiness. That is His most exalted attribute. We hear people talk, and I may repeat myself in a moment, but we hear people talk today about the love of God. And certainly God is love. But I believe His love comes out of His holiness because God is who He is. He loves us. And I've said a lot of times, and you've heard me say this over and over, you do not violate the holiness of God and get away with it. God is holy. God is exalted. His character is one of absolute purity, absolute perfection, and absolute integrity. The Old Testament prophets had a lot of things to say about the holiness of God. As we just read from the book of Exodus, that God is gracious in His holiness. Psalm 145 verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and holy in all His works. He is completely holy. Psalm 99, verse 9, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. We serve, we worship, we're here today to worship a holy God. Sadly, it seems to me, and maybe again I'm missing out on some things, but sadly it seems to me that God's holiness is a doctrine that we rarely seem to study today. Like I say, people want to study His love. But His holiness is even more rarely understood often by people who profess to be His children. Have you ever heard somebody who professed to be a child of God use God's name in vain? Refer to God as the man upstairs, and I'll say more about that in a moment, or refer to God in some way that takes away from his, from his elevated position that he ought to have in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. In his holiness, God exceeds all of the limits of purity and all of the limits of majesty that you and I might even be able to come up with, even be able to imagine. You know, it's, you start thinking about God and you just, we're limited by this thing up here. And we can't even begin to touch the glory and the beauty and the holiness of God just in our human thinking. It will be a great day when we as God's people, when we as the Lord's churches, realize and fully understand that God is above us. And I don't just mean up in heaven. God is high above us and that God is far beyond us. I don't know that you hear the word holy in a lot of churches today. We may sing holy, 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 but, you know, that's just a song, right? No, it's a song of worship to God. 
We're in a day, and I think we still are. We were a few years ago, and I think we still are today. We're in a day of Christian comedians and Christian rock and roll. And let me just tell you right quick, pardon the grammar, but there ain't no such thing as Christian rock and roll. I played rock and roll on the radio for six and a half years. I know what rock and roll is about. And you can't call it Christian and you can't take it and just put words about God and Jesus in it and make it Christian. The beat itself is unchristian. And so we live in that day of Christian. We live, there, there are Christian nightclubs today. Well, they call them that. They're not truly Christian nightclubs. And so we live in that day and all of this listening of the glory and of the holiness of God and it begins to affect you and me as the people of God and causes us sometimes not to fully understand or contemplate the holiness of God. There's an attempt by many today to bring God down from His holiness to mankind's level. Where that we have a God that we can put right here in our hands and when we want something we can say, God do this for me. When we need help, God help me. And we want, many want a God they can control instead of a God who is controlling them. We can't bring God down to our level, folks. God is high and God is holy. Now, if you want to talk about the holiness of God, and I can't think of a better place to turn. I mentioned Isaiah chapter 6. I can't think of a better place to turn to talk about the holiness of God than the 6th chapter of the book of Isaiah. We're going to read the first 10 verses there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Even though Isaiah recalled King Uzziah, who was a wonderful king in the nation of Israel, he gets a vision of another king. He gets a vision of the king of kings. He gets a vision of the Lord. And in Isaiah chapter 6, what he says is, I saw the Lord. Now I'm not going to try to tell you everything that Isaiah saw because I don't understand everything Isaiah saw, okay? But he saw the Lord. But can you imagine what he saw? Just imagine the glory, the vision that Isaiah saw when he saw the Lord. In fact, it is so great. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And that's where God is. He said, His train filled the temple. And then he has this vision of the angels around the throne singing holy, holy, holy. Our God is a thrice holy God. In fact, 
what the scripture says in John chapter 17, verse 11, God is called Holy Father. In Acts 3.14, God the Son is called the Holy One. And we know that in Ephesians 4.30 and other places, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Holy Spirit. The thrice Holy God. That is the God that we serve. And here's how holy He is, and here's how great His holiness is. When Isaiah saw this vision, when Isaiah saw the Lord, what did he say? He said, I'm undone. He said, woe is me. Now, woe is a lamentation here. He recognizes himself in the position that he's in before God. And then he says this, for I'm undone. Now that phrase, I'm undone, literally he says, I am going to die. Here's Isaiah, the prophet of God. The man that God is using to prophesy Israel, he has this vision of God. And he says, man, I'm going to die. I've seen the Lord. That's how struck he was by the holiness of God and by the sight that he saw as he looked upon this vision. Now, when Isaiah saw the Lord, he saw himself in contrast to the Lord also. And I think that's what's very important about this verse. Each of us, as God's children just need to see ourselves in contrast to the holiness of God. And when we see God as we should, when we see God as His Word presents Him, I think there's a conviction that will take place in our hearts, just like it took place in Isaiah's heart. You know, it's real easy in this flesh to get to thinking a little bit up here of ourselves, and, well, I'm somebody... I go, you know, look at all those folks that don't ever go to church. I go to church every Sunday. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm here, man. I'm doing something for God. Well, we're going to say more about that in a few moments. But Isaiah came to the place where he recognized his insignificance in contrast to the holiness of God. See, we live in a day when we feel like we've got to cause everyone to feel good about themselves and to feel good about God, Isaiah got very close to God. And when Isaiah got close to God, Isaiah was convicted by God's holiness. He said, there are things in my life I need to change. If I'm going to fellowship with this God, if I'm going to be in His presence, there are things in my life that I need to change. See, we've sort of become convinced today in America that people need, and they don't need this, but people need a, a God who will just give them the warm fuzzies all over. They want a God who will make them feel good. Instead of comparing and, and contrasting ourselves to that holiness of God. Here's what believers in America today need. And here's what America needs today, folks. We need a fresh glimpse of God that will cause us to say, we need to change some things in our lives. How could someone who's come under the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's experienced the love of God in Christ on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night, just say, you know what? I just don't feel like going and worshiping God today. You know, I wrote something just recently, and I don't know where I put it, whether it's my Facebook, the church's Facebook. You know, I write these things, and I post them somewhere, and then I forget where I posted them, so when we're going to refer to them, I can't remember where even to go find them. But I said something to this effect, and this is all coming out of a couple of years ago. You know, we went to live streams, 
as a necessity, didn't we? You know, we can't get out, we can't go meet in big groups and so forth, and so we'll just do a live stream and we'll preach to everybody that way. And that was well attended. We have a lot of views and so forth, so we continued it once we're able to get back together. But you know what live stream has become in many cases? It's become an excuse, not a reason. I'm not going to say everything I said in that post, but you know what? I can stay home and I can watch church services at home, right? And that's where we've come to today. But I'll guarantee you, I don't know how much you worship God when you're here. Just because you show up and sing some songs and bow your head when we pray and look interested when the preacher's preaching, I don't know how much you worship God. That's in your heart. That's between you and God. But you remember there was a Sunday back the first part of this year when we had to stay home because someone tested positive. uh, I won't say who, but she's right over there. I had to have a guest speaker. We watched the services from home. You don't concentrate on that TV preaching as much as you do when you're sitting right here. You don't concentrate on worshiping God as much as you do when you're sitting right out here. And so, again, we've done this thing, and it became a necessity, but now it's become something that we say, well, you know, if I don't want to go today, I just won't go today. Preacher, are you talking about ending the live stream? If I ever found out that it was just causing somebody to stay home and just not show up, I'd say, we need to cut this out for a while. But I want to continue it, too, because there are people, you know, we get views all through the week. Now, I didn't intend to preach on live stream this morning, by the way. That just sort of came up, all right? And the one preacher said, if it comes up, it's going to come out. All right, But we need to change some things in our lives. We need to check our faithfulness to God. God is faithful to us. We need to check our faithfulness to God. Now listen, as a preacher of the Word of God, it is not my job to try to take away from God's glory to help people better understand God. That is not my job. That is not your job as a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, it is my prayer, and I believe it is my responsibility, to present God in such a way that the Holy Spirit will give us a glimpse of His holiness. And as we get a glimpse of that holiness of God, that our hearts will be convicted, and we will say, I want to do what God wants me to do in my life. I'm a child of God. I want to obey my Heavenly Father. We're going to mention just some very... Hopefully briefly, we never know, do we? Hopefully briefly, we're going to mention some things about the holiness of God. First of all, the works of God are holy. The works of God are holy. We read Psalm 145, 17 just a few moments ago. Remember what that psalm says? The Lord is righteous in all of His ways and holy in all His works. I may not understand all the time the works of God, and I don't. And I may not always understand everything about the Word of God, and I don't, but here's what I know. They are holy. Everything, everything about the Word of God, everything about the works of God, it's holy. Our standards of righteousness falter, and our standards of faithfulness fall far below, and sometimes they're up and down, but they're far below God's standards of faithfulness. They're uh, far beyond God's standards of righteousness. But God's faithfulness and God's purity and His holiness are always before us, and He is holy, and He is always right. The creative works of God are holy. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We get down to verse 30 
one of that first chapter and it says, and God saw everything that he had made and it was very good. You know, if you read that first chapter, it said the first day God did this and God saw that it was good. Second day God did this and saw that it was good. And the third day God did this. He saw that it was good. And he all, then you get to the sixth day. Who or what was created on the sixth day? Man was. And we come to the end of the sixth day and it says that God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. All of God's works are holy. Ecclesiastes 7.29. Remember Ecclesiastes from a few months ago? Ecclesiastes 7.29 concerning man. Lo, this only have I found that God hath made men upright, but they have sought out many inventions. God made man, I think I mentioned this Wednesday night, God made man Perfectly holy, physically healthy, and mentally healthy as well. But because of man's sin, man is no longer in that state of holiness. God created this world, and God created man, and because he created it, he created it in a perfect condition. But that word conventions, by the way, means contrivances. I like that word. God created man in a perfect condition, but man has sought out contrivances. You know what happened after Adam sinned? You say, well, sure, I know what happened. Really? The first murder, the first double homicide, the first bigamy, the first person to be married to two women, you know? Man just began seeking out contrivances, going against God and going away from God. And mankind is still seeking out inventions that violate the Word of God today. All you have to do is turn on the news, folks. Read the newspaper, listen to the radio, whatever. He's still trying to deviate from the God who created him. And our responsibility as believers is not to deviate from God, but to get in line with God and obey God. Not to go along with this world. This is a sinful world that we live in. And so we're not to go along with it. We're to follow God. So God's creative works are right. Man's choice is wrong. That put God and man at odds with one another. And so that brings us to the second great work of God. And you know what it is? God's redemptive work is absolutely holy. Because of man's sin... God unfolded, and uh, be careful, don't get ahead of me on this. God unfolded a redemptive plan. This is not an emergency plan. There are no emergencies in heaven. God wasn't sitting around and all of a sudden Adam sinned and God said, Oh no, now what do I do? No. In fact, the Word of God says that Jesus stood as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world over the first chapter of 1 Peter. It was in the heart and the mind of God to send Jesus to be the sacrifice for mankind's sin before God ever made man. Well, why would God do that? Because God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. That doesn't mean He makes it happen. He just knows what's going to happen. He knew man would sin, and He had provided for the sacrifice for mankind's sin. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. We get a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in Psalm 22. Remember studying the 22nd Psalm? How many weeks did it take us? And how many pages of outline do we have on the 22nd Psalm? But look at the redemptive work of God. Psalm 22, verse 1. Mike, remember this? Just go over to the New Testament and read this. Jesus hanging on the cross. And he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Remember that? 
Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. That psalm describes the darkest day in the history of the world. When God the Father turned His back on God the Son, when He became the sin sacrifice for us, He that knew no sin became the sin sacrifice for us. Somebody will ask, well, what would cause God to do such a thing? Verse 3 in Psalm 22 has the answer. But thou art holy. A holy God could not look upon sin. And when Jesus took upon Him the sin of the world... He turned away. And you know the scripture says that the sky just became dark. The veil of the temple was rent from the top down. And there was a great earthquake that shook this old world. Jesus as I said a moment ago became sin for us. Jesus who never sinned. Who knew no sin. Became the sin sacrifice for us. And so the father turned his back. And the skies were darkened that day. But because Jesus bore the penalty. We're forgiven. We're redeemed. When someone will turn, that's repentance. And by faith apply the shed blood of Jesus Christ. They're forgiven, they're redeemed, they're saved. They become a child of God. And we have a relationship with God today that most of the world does not have. Those who don't know Christ to save you don't have the relationship. They may use God's name. They may do something they call praying. But it's not the relationship that someone that has repented toward God and put his faith in Christ has with God. And we can have that relationship with God without his holiness being compromised. God's redemptive work is perfect because he is perfect. The works of God are holy. We might not understand everything God does. I mean, haven't you had things happen in your life where you think, boy, I I wish God would show me why this happened. I'd like to ask God why this is taking place. You know, somebody asked me a question like that, and I say, you just have to ask him when you get there. I can't answer for you. We don't always understand his works, but his works are perfect, and we can be assured of that, that they are right. The word of God is holy also. The word of God is holy because the word of God manifests his purity. Listen to Psalm 19, verses 8 and 9. It manifests the purity and the holiness of God. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The word of God is pure and true and righteous. You know one of the ways we know the word is pure? Because the world hates it. The world, this world hates The Word of God. If you don't believe that, okay, just try this little test. Sometime, maybe at work or wherever you might be in a public place, just take your Bible out and open it on the table and watch how some people react because you have a Bible out and you have it. Just take your Bible to work or talk about the Bible at work, or share a few verses in your break time with some of the people that you work with, and see how some respond and react to the Word of God, and you'll see that this world does not love the Word of God. You'll be amazed at how just taking out a Bible can thin out a crowd. Oh, he's going he's to preach to us. He's going to witness to us. She's going to witness to us. We better get out of here. I don't want to hear what it has to say. And this world lives in its sin and is convicted by the Word of God. 
See, when you're not right with God, and I just saw this limb behind me off and just fall right out here, all right? That's why some saved people don't come to church. If you're not right with God, the thought of hearing from the Bible, the thought of hearing the Word of God, the mention of the Bible can bring conviction to your heart. And you know, I don't know about you, but I've never enjoyed conviction. You know, when God just touches his heart and says, you're wrong, bud. You need to get right. That's not a good feeling. And even God's people can experience that feeling when they're not right with God. And when the preacher gets up and preaches, and it may be even a message on the holiness of God, and it convicts heart, people say, well, you know, I'm not going back to hear him. I'll go down the street and hear Brother Sounding Brass or go across town and hear Minister's Tinkling Symbol, you know. God's Word is pure. God's Word has a way of shining light into our inner crevices of our hearts and it will show us what needs to be changed. If you want to know more, somebody say, I'd like to know God better. Well, get into His Word. If you want to know God better, get to know Jesus better because the Word presents God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus came that we may have an understanding or better understanding of God. So if you want to know more about God, get into the Holy Word of God. But God's Word magnifies Him personally also. Psalm 89 verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. The main attraction in a service like this, this is called a worship service. So what are we here to do? Worship. Okay, sort of simple, isn't it? It's a worship service. We're here to worship. And the main attraction in a worship service should never be what someone is wearing or what someone has done or did during the worship service. We need to recognize that God is perfect. All of His works are perfect. His Word is perfect. And He wants us to come here and to worship Him in His holiness one reason the Lord's churches are tolerant of sin today, folks, is because we do not reverence God. A quote from Vance Havner from many years ago, and I love it. He said, talking about the Lord's churches, he said, what started out to be a sheepfold has turned into a zoo. And we have every kind of animal. He said, everybody gets in and nobody gets out. And that's what's happened in the Lord's churches. And the reason, one of the reasons is we don't reverence the holiness of God. We don't understand His holiness as we should and we don't reverence Him. Psalm 99.5 says, Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at His footstool for He is holy. Again, we need to get off of this idea of bringing God down to our level, the man upstairs or the boss. I knew a church member that called him the boss. Well, he's more than the boss. He's God, all right? He's God Almighty. We need to get off of that idea and recognize that He is perfect. It is He that hath made us, the Scripture says, and not we ourselves. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, I love it, says, God is light, and in Him is no darkness whatsoever. Darkness is a picture of sin. Light is a picture of righteousness. God is total righteousness. You can't find a speck of sin in God. That's what John is saying in 1 John 5. And the nature of God that is reverenced and shown in His Word is that light, is that righteousness of God. We are to walk in the light, aren't we? 
If we walk, 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, okay? The He is God and the we is us, all right? If we will walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with God. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Isn't that beautiful? I've told you how I illustrated that to a church one time. I had a triangle. I don't know whether it's equilateral or isosceles or whatever, but it had three sides, so I know it was a triangle. All right. One pictured our fellowship with God. And the beautiful thing about 1 John 1 7 is when we fellowship with God, walk in the light with God, He reciprocates and fellowships with us. And because we are fellowshipping with God and He's fellowshipping with us, you and I can have fellowship with each other. But you pull one leg of that triangle out and it collapses. Okay? We must walk in the light as He is in the light. The Word of God says He is in the light. And if we'll do that, our lives will change to the image of Jesus Christ. We'll never be perfect in this flesh, but we can have the picture of the Lord's salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Paul said he wanted to present Jesus to others in that way. One reason our world is in the shape that it's in today is because it hasn't seen enough of people who profess to be saved who actually live like the Lord Jesus Christ. We should pray, Lord, help me to walk in your holiness and reflect your image to a world that does not need to see another carnal believer. That's what it means to walk in the light. And right quickly, His will for our lives is holy. What does God want from your life? What does God want from my life? Well, whatever it is. I can't speak for your life. I can only speak for mine. But whatever God's will for your life and my life is, know this one thing. It is holy. It is right. It is complete. In the matter of salvation, His will in redeeming mankind is holy. Romans chapter 3. These verses just lay things out so clearly. Being justified, beginning in verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So where were we redeemed? We're redeemed in Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation or satisfaction through faith in His blood. And you know that's all Paul names in that verse. He doesn't name baptism, church membership, living a good life, good works, or any of those things. We become righteous or the right, have the righteousness of Christ through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. God said it'll be this way. You'll be saved by trusting Jesus or you won't be saved. What did Jesus say? I think I mentioned it last week. Jesus said, I am the way. That's important. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus was sent forth to pay the price for our sin so that we might be made righteous. And at the same time, God is declaring His righteousness that he may be just. He is just and he is a justifier of them that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a hope today. We have a glad expectation today. That's what hope is in the New Testament. We have a glad expectation for heaven today. You know why? 
Not because you're a member of Bethel, not because you've been dunked in a tank of water. Or in, I had a man say to me one time, he said, if you're going to baptize me, it'd have to be in running water. I said, well, then, brother, I'll turn on the faucet and open the drain, and that water will be running through the baptistry the whole time we're having a baptismal service. I knew what he meant. But not because that's happened. We have a glad expectation today because we have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then God's desire for us. I mentioned His will. Absolutely holy. Romans 8.29. We talked about this just recently. But Romans 8.29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed in the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Remember how I mentioned this a few weeks ago? Because I started thinking, how? I, I love God, but how, how can I, a mere human being, a sinful creature... How can I, what can I give God? What can I do for God? What can I show God to, to, to show Him? I know He knows my heart, but show Him I love Him. And that verse came to mind. Here's what God wants. He wants us to be conformed to the image of His dear Son, that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. So that brings up the matter of service. God has a will to redeem us, but He has a desire to renew our lives. We're familiar with Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. How about that? God's not unreasonable to say, look, I sent my son to die for you, now I want you to live for me. I sent my son to die for you, now I want you to die to self, to live for me. I'm not expecting you to be laid upon an altar and have your throat slit and your blood drained out and all of that offered as a sacrifice. I just want you to give your life to me. It's reasonable. And then he says this, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, right? What does it mean to be transformed? I'd look the word up again because I knew what it meant, but I want to make sure. Renovated. God says, I want you to be renovated. Now, what do you do? We're trying to find somebody to do some work on our house because we need some work done on our house. But what do you do when you renovate? You tear out the old and you put in the new. Well, what does that mean to me, preacher? Well, if I've been saved, I got some old stuff I need to get rid of. And I got a lot of new stuff I've got to get put in, in my heart and in my life. God is saying, I don't want to redeem you from your sin so you can just go on sinning. That's not the purpose of it. Paul dealt with that in Romans chapter 6. He said, I want you to be renewed in your mind and I want you to be renewed in your spirit and I want you to be renewed in your life. In fact, 1 Peter 1.16, Be ye holy for I am holy. God said, I'm holy. I want you to be holy, set apart, separate from the world like I am separate from the world. He doesn't want us to be conformed to this world. And He will renew us day by day if we'll walk with Him. Many times people attend church and they want to be a good Baptist. And so they show up for church. And, Man, I'm doing my thing. I'm a church member. I'm doing my job. I showed up at church and God ought to be proud of me. And God's saying... I just want you to live for me and reflect my nature. Yes, He wants us to be here. Yes, He wants us to come together to worship Him. But we need to be reflecting God's nature. Not the nature of the world. 
You know, it doesn't take any effort at all to re reflect the nature of the lost world, does it? I mean, you just do what comes naturally. God wants us to reflect His nature. And we need to be allowing Him and His will and His Word to work in our lives. This world needs to see some real Christians today. Are you tired of phony Christians? I mean, I am. I'm tired of those. I'm tired of preachers that profess to be preachers and they're preaching something, but they're not preaching the Word of God. They get up in a pulpit, maybe on television, and they act all high and holy, and then you hear about their lives out away from everybody, and they're no better than a lost person. That hurts the ministry. That hurts true preachers, and I'm tired of folks like that. But I also have grown tired of people who, I mean, this is, sometimes it's just a catchphrase that people say, well, don't do that, don't talk to me like that. I'm, I'm a Christian. Really? Do you know what it means? Do you live it? God's holy, pure, high, lifted up without sin. He wants us to reflect that holiness. His word and works are holy, and His will for our lives is absolutely holy. So it comes down to one question this morning. Do we really grasp, first of all, the holiness of God? I'm going to be real smart one time, pastoring a church, and I said, I'm going to have a series of lessons about the wholeness and the greatness of God. I said, we're not going to talk about how, you know, God is eternal, and we're not going to talk about how God is all-powerful. We, we know these things, we study these, but we're going to just get really down, and we're going to have these serious lessons on the holiness of God. I got one lesson, and I said, I can't do this. Because in this flesh, <laughs> I can't even imagine the holiness of God. And so we had a one-lesson series, and then we went on to something else. Because the flesh, I just want us to grasp the holiness of God and respond to it the way He would have us respond to it. He's holy. He loves us. He just wants us to serve Him.